Right. Oh, okay. Whew, I thought she disappeared. Here to wrap up our Hey Jude uh, uh, series is none other than Vicki Christenave. Let's welcome Vicki. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. I can't say I didn't think about splitting, just sneaking out the back. <laughs> so how's everyone doing this morning? Okay, so I'm going to get a little transparent. I'm going to have to put my glasses on today because though my font here is at, I think it's 22 or 24, it's still blurry. So now what's going to happen is I'm going to put these on and I'm going to be able to see my, my uh, talk, but you are a blurry mess. So I can't see if you're smiling, if you're nodding, if you're falling asleep. Um, but every once in a while, if you could just go, woo, or give me an amen, then I know you're listening, you're alive, you're well, and this is all good. So I'm going to have to get contacts or something. This is just driving me crazy. So hey, um, I was reflecting back on a celebration that we had here just a couple weeks ago, and I'm referring to the baptism that took place in um, the church hot tub, as Andrew likes to call it which just cracks me up that we have a church hot tub, but it's a baptismal. So, you know, baptism is a public profession of our faith in Jesus. It symbolizes the cleansing from sin and acknowledging Jesus as our Savior, but it also is a decision to follow him and to acknowledge him as our Lord. As a follower of Jesus, we're saying, he is my savior and he is my Lord. So when we say Jesus is Lord and that we're choosing to follow him, what we're supposed to be saying is that I relinquish control of my life to him. I give God control of my life. And so what that means is I give him control of my family, my marriage, my children, my finances, all my relationships, the decisions that I make, my sexuality, everything. I give everything over to him. And it doesn't mean that we're gonna walk a perfect life because we know that's not possible, but it is saying that our hearts are to be yielded to him. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. He's saying, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will surrender your life to me. I think what he is saying is the way, the way you live your life should be an indicator of your love for me. You know, last weekend, Michael introduced us to the first part of Jude, and he shared that the purpose of Jude writing this letter to this church, which was a church of Jewish Christians, he said the purpose was clearly defined in verse three, which says, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And he summed it up by saying, this letter is saying, we need to contend we need to defend the faith 
because the faith is under attack. And he, he emphasized the urgency in this letter. This letter is kind of a sprint. It's not an easy jog. <laughs> it's a very short letter, but I feel like as you read it, there's power and authority on everything that is spoken. It conveys a seriousness, an intensity to this message to contend for the faith. And the heart of the attack, Michael said, was choosing that the people, certain people, were choosing a self-centered life and not a God-centered life. And he went on to say, it's no different for us. The attack is no different for us. That we too want to walk a little too close to the edge sometimes. That edge of sin. Because we want what our fleshly desires want. So we struggle with that surrendering. And if I can just be completely vulnerable, I think I have surrendered multiple times and I've only been up here five minutes, maybe. So it's a process. When God calls you into something, when God asks something of you, when God asks you to make a choice between his ways and, and our ways, we have to surrender that to the Him. We have to yield it to Him. And that's a lifelong journey. That's a lifelong struggle. Well, today, in the last eight verses of Jude, we're going to learn how to contend for the faith. Jude is going to instruct us and help us so we know how to do that. So, just pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite your fullness here. Would you breathe on your word today? Would you give us the provision of learning it and learning your truths? Would you soften our hearts today and make them open to what you want to speak to us? And God, would you just help me to clearly communicate what you've prepared for us to hear? We just welcome your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are going to pick up in Jude where Michael left off. So if you want to open your Bibles up to the book of Jude, and if you don't have a Bible, we have some here on the stage and some on the sound booth in the back. Um, it's located in the New Testament, and it's almost the very end. It's the second to the last book right before Revelation. You've probably passed it a zillion times because it's so tiny and so easy to, to pass up. But we're going to start in verse 17. Okay. It says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own godly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So in the last 16 verses that Michael covered, Jude had already shared many stories and many examples that were found in the well-known and, and well-studied um, literature that the, the Hebrew people would have been very familiar with, where those who claimed to love and follow God had fallen into sin. 
And in the Jewish culture, they held the high idea that your actions should equal your, your beliefs. They should be aligned. So Jude continues his reflection on history. He's a, he's a real historian here. But he, ref, um, he reflects on history, but a more recent history. And what he's saying is he's referring to the teachings his audience had heard from the very mouths of the apostles, their teachers. He be, begins by saying, remember John? Remember Paul? Remember Peter? Each had already told us that scoffers would come. In 2 Peter 2, it says, But there were also prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will clearly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shame, shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. Point one on your outline is, we are to remember. The apostles foretold that certain people in the church will appear to be followers of Jesus while choosing to follow their fleshly desires. And that by creating division, and by that, creating division among the church. So they cave to their own fleshly desires and they deny the spirit of God, the very spirit of God. They are using the grace of Jesus as a license to sin. They believe the forgiveness of sin provided through Jesus' death on the cross opens the door for them to just continue sinning. Our sins, our past sins are forgiven and all the sins we will commit are forgiven. There's grace. Why can't I just live my life as I want? And I want to highlight a few things here that I think are important to draw out of this remembering. First, remembering lessons from history is a good way to awaken us, the church, to the task of contending for the faith. Nobody likes to talk about the wrath of God, do they? But Jude provided many examples of natural divine consequences that come to those who deny or stand against God. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to hear that. But that's reality. That's truth. You know, our girls play high school soccer, and at each game, they videotape the game. And then they use that tape during practice to not only review good plays or to review goals, but they also review it for lessons learned. They look for errors. They looked for missed opportunities or plays that just failed. It's a teaching opportunity. The goal is to learn from past mistakes so they aren't repeated. I think that's what he's telling us. Remember. Remember and learn and grow and don't make the same mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes you made last week or last year. Challenge yourself. 
Also, remembering that the apostles had foretold this will happen, it's going to happen, I think it eliminates the surprise or the alarm. What I mean by that, I was, I was thinking that, you know, our, our teenage daughters just got their temps. Oh, lots of, got to trust a lot on that. I'm learning that, hey, I'm actually a little more calm than I anticipated. It may be all the medication I'm on. I don't know. It's just sedating me. But so we were driving the other day, and one of our daughters up in our area, the roads are really, really slim and, you know, narrow. And she's driving out on the road, and it was actually the first time she had been on the road, not just a big parking lot. And so we're driving along, and it just hit me. I'm like, oh, there's an S-curve coming up. I got to prepare her for that. And right as all at once we see that, that yellow warning sign, and she's probably going about 50 miles an hour at this point. And I said, hey, I said, babe, see that warning sign? So it's an S-curve. It means it's going to go left and then it's going to go right, and it's going to be pretty sharp. So you need to slow down, and you need to be comfortable putting your brakes on. And it, it suggests to go 15 miles an hour, and I'm thinking, how about 10? Maybe we should just try this one at 10, you know, because you're just, oh... So, releasing control, releasing control, right? So, I, I thought about that, and I go, that's, that's kind of what this is. It's a warning. Hey, this is coming. Be prepared. Don't go in thinking, ah, I got this. No. Go in on your knees, going, Lord, I know you got this. Help me. I need you. It provides a confidence in an all-knowing God not an all-knowing me. Nothing catches God by surprise, does it? He knows what's coming our way, and it reminds us to keep our focus on him and to stay the course. I believe one more thing we really need to give attention to is you'll notice Jude doesn't focus on their poor theology as much as their behavior. There is a disconnection between what they say they believe and how they live, how they behave. You know, our actions reveal our heart, don't they? Our actions reveal our heart. Their hearts were clearly not yielded to God's way. And they were using the grace of Jesus as a license to sin. And that's Jude's real concern in this letter. And it should be our concern for our lives as Christians. Romans 6 says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live, it, live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There are red flags when what we say we believe and our behavior do not line up. And that's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves. Are there any red flags in my life? Do I act in a way 
that is aligned with what I say I believe. It's easy to tell someone, trust God, but do you trust God? Does your behavior and the way you live your life reflect that you trust God? If we profess faith in Christ, then we are to die to our old sinful ways and become a new creation in him. We are to look different than we did before. And I think each day, my prayer is that I look a little bit more different. I look a little bit more like him. So let's move forward. I find when God calls you into something, he begins to prepare you for it, right? He prepares you for the work ahead. And sometimes we miss that preparation. I remember as um, a mom staying at home with my, our girls for nine years, there was preparation in that. You know, sometimes as a mom, you go, oh, I'm just, I'm staying at home, I'm cleaning the house, I'm doing the laundry, I'm grocery shopping, I'm cooking, I'm taking care of the kiddos. Well, there's preparation in that. So look for it and seek it and ask God to show you that. So before Jude tells us how to contend for the faith, how to defend it, he instructs us to begin preparing. It reminds me of the emergency instruction when you get on an airplane. That in the event the cabin pressure drops, what happens? The mask will fall in front of you. And what do they tell you to do? Do they say, hey, help the person next to you or, or help the child who can't help themselves? Or do they tell you, put the mask on first? Yeah. They tell you, take care of yourself. They wisely instruct you to care for yourself because in the event you pass out due to the lack of oxygen, you're of absolutely no help to anyone else on that plane. You now become a burden. We first focus on our own personal survival which enables us to contend for others and to contend for the faith. So before we are able to receive that instruction on how to contend, point two is we are to prepare. And we see a transi transition occur here in verse 20 where Jude has now moved from the past and he's now firmly planted in the present and he is ready to give a command to us. Verse 20 but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. When you look at the original Greek language that this is written, there is one command that is given in those two verses. And it's right in the middle. So the very first part of verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in God's love. So it would be easier if we read it, keep yourselves in God's love by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. We are to keep ourselves in God's love, in his care. And I mentioned that's, it's a command, it is a command. It means, I'm not suggesting this. I'm saying, you need to do this. This is not a request. This is an order. This is essential. Keep yourselves in God's love. 
So what does it mean to keep yourselves in God's love? The word keep comes from the word teros, which means to keep an eye on, to keep something in view, to hold firmly, to attend carefully, or to watch over it. We are to hold firmly to God's love. We are to watch over it and attend carefully to our spiritual health. And it goes on to say, how do we keep in God's love? Well, first, by building up our faith. And I don't know any other way to build up our faith other than reading this book, right? This book, the Bible, we have to read it. We have to study it. One means to express our love or our feelings for someone is through words, right? We may speak those words. We may sing those words to someone. We may write them down in a card or a letter or in a text. God has provided us with words inspired by him. They're in that book. The Bible is a collection of words inspired by our God for us. It expresses his love and affection for us, and it expresses his desires for us. It points to a path leading to a life of blessing rather than death and destruction. We build our relationship and our faith by reading God's word. In addition, we read it to know and understand truth. We read it to understand truth so we know how to live our lives. The Bible is our compass and it's to direct our path. We've already received the warning that false teachings are leading people astray, but you cannot recognize lies if you don't know truth. Now can you? There are many lies that we often believe and sometimes we even say them. I remember saying some of these. They're lies that are disguised as truth. Things like, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm sure there are several of you out there thinking, really? Because I can remember several times or my current situation is more than I can handle. Nothing's too big for God though, is it? Another lie God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Or God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Or another one, money is the root of all evil. Is money really the root of all evil? You may believe these to be true, but I want to just softly challenge you today. If you're going, hmm, you're still contemplating some of those. Search the scriptures. 
See if you can validate it. That's what reading the Bible is. We search the scriptures for the questions we have and the things we don't know or the things we don't understand. We search the scriptures to avoid the lies and understand truth. You cannot recognize the lies if you do not know truth. We also build our faith by being in Christian community. Hebrews 10 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. One way we encourage Christian community at VCDC is through our small groups. One reason we are a healthy church is because we have healthy small groups. You know, I was reminded, um, our first VCDC group that Derek and I, um, we actually started co-leading with Bill and Misty Carpenter. Uh, it was the Africa Road group, which I always love that. We sounded really cool. So, and we were cool, no. Um, actually, the people in our group were really cool. So, but I think back, and it had such life in the group. We shared numerous laughs. We shared tears. Um, we had endless meals together. We prepared meals for each other when we needed it. We did pumpkin patches with our kids. We, we did, I think, hay rides. Um, we even went camping together. It was just like one thing after another. We celebrated weddings. We celebrated births. We celebrated graduations. We also grieved loss together. Even one of our members we lost. Several of us lost loved ones, and we came alongside each other. We prayed for children who had gone astray. We prayed for unsaved family members. We did life together. And I'm pretty sure some of you here were a part of that group. We studied the Word of God together, and we allowed it to challenge us, to shape us, to strengthen us. We encouraged each other to keep in God's love and his care. And our faith grew. It grew as we battled the struggles of life together, as we celebrated victories together. Our faith grew because of community. It also says we keep ourselves in God's love by praying in the Holy Spirit. We value the Holy Spirit here. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It says all occasions. Pray in the Spirit, not sometimes. Not when you feel like it. You pray in the Spirit all the time. 
Romans 8.26 also says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Right? You been there? Sometimes I don't know what to pray for my situation. Sometimes I don't know what to pray for someone else's situation. But the Holy Spirit does. And so that's why we pray by him, with him. You know, earlier in, early in your walk, sometimes you'll find that your prayers are requests to God. You're kind of instructing him what you need. You're, you're praying for your desire or what you think is the right outcome or the right response or what would fix something. We want our loved one to turn away from addiction. So we ask God to help them stop it, to quit that habit. And I believe that's, you know, God's desire as well. But a relationship with God that grows and matures over time, what we find is that when we do pray, we have less words and we wait for the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts. We wait for the Holy Spirit to help give us God's perspective, his view on the situation, his desires for the situation. We surrender our desires to his will, his purpose, and his plans. We are to pray with dependence on the Holy Spirit and in accordance with God's will. And we learn God's will by studying the scriptures. Verse 21 ends with, we keep ourselves in God's love waiting for the mercy of our Lord. Some translations will say awaiting. And that is a verb that infers we do not stop. We continue doing it over and over again. We continue keeping we continue building and we continue praying. We, prayer, we prepare to contend when we commit to our spiritual growth while fixing our eyes on our future hope, awaiting for the mercy of the Lord. Hope is a strong motivator for present action, isn't it? Knowledge of a victorious end can encourage hard work in the present. So we search the scriptures for truth. We keep in Christian community. We pray in the Holy Spirit. And we don't stop doing it. And finally, Jude is going to instruct us how to contend for the faith. So we've been told to remember, we've been told to prepare, and now, point three, we are going to contend. Verse 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, even hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I think here that what Jude is outlining is three different types of groups and our response to them. 
our response and how to de- demonstrate the way we are to contend. But I don't believe that we're to read this as an exhaustive list. The instruction doesn't give us a method for a specific person or for a specific group. But I do believe there are some considerations that we should identify when contending. I think it tells us we need to exercise spiritual discernment. Not every situation warrants the same response or approach. And so we are to pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit when we contend. Also, we have to remember our duty is to join in God's mission. We are to save, not destroy. Invite, not exclude. We want to extend mercy, not judgment. We need to be about God's business and have his heart. So he says, have mercy on doubters. Do you know someone who is questioning their faith? Think about that. Is there anyone in your circle and you go, they're questioning their faith? Maybe they're unsure if they really believe the gospel is true. When we have mercy, this tells us to welcome those who waver or who are not sure of their faith or maybe even those who are unaware that there is sin in their life. It says, have mercy. Mercy means care and compassion and love. Ask God to help you love them as he would love them, to see them as he would see them, to allow your heart to be broken for their unsaved soul or the lies that they believe. This is why we are to know what we believe and why we believe it. We are to be ready and willing to come alongside and disciple. You may speak truth sometimes, but we are often given the opportunity and the privilege of pointing them to truth. Do you ever ask someone, hey, do you own a Bible? Or do you ever ask, do you, do you read your Bible? Or what do you think this scripture tells us about God? Or how about, hey, we were just listening to that sermon. What do you take away from that? What do you think God's speaking to you? Or sharing, here's what I think God was saying to me. And they're often different because God knows our unique situations, our lives. Or how about, I have found that God reveals so much to me about himself when I read his word. Before I became a believer, um, I was an adult, married at the time, um, and I was entangled in sin. And I had made some really poor choices. Well, when I first became a believer and was invited to my very first Bible study, 
It was a women's study. It was, I think, about 200 women attended this study. And I remember we were sitting there during the lecture one day, and I don't remember exactly what we were studying, um, but whatever the scripture was, it clearly convicted me of my previous choices in life. It's one of those times where you're sitting in the room and you're pretty sure everyone's staring at you going, do you get it? And you're sitting there and you're starting to get flushed and warm and it's really not happening, but in your mind it is that God is speaking directly to me today and everyone is aware of it, right? Well, after, and I have to tell you, what had really happened at that point because I was starting to learn God's word, a light bulb came in, came on in my mind, and I got it. For the very first time, I got that all those choices I had made were to make me happy and to please me, and, but they weren't pleasing to God. So after the teaching, my friend came over and she sat down beside me. She was so sweet. She looked at me and she said, Vicki, how are you doing? How are you feeling and what are you thinking after that teaching? Because she was fully aware of the sinful choices that I had made. And she was so very kind and gentle. And she helped me process through all the emotion I was feeling, all the convictions I was feeling. And then she guided me to truth. As we talked through it, she assured me of God's forgiveness when you have a repentant heart. When you make a decision to no longer follow your own desires and you say, I'm gonna turn away and I'm gonna follow God's ways. She extended mercy to me and she took full advantage of building a relationship with me, loving me, and discipling me. So it goes on to say, save by snatching from the fire. You know, the fire referenced here is the flames of judgment. It's saving them from perishing, from death. I was thinking when a firefighter goes into a flaming building, one that's engulfed in flames, they are going on a rescue mission. They are rescuing and reclaiming property and possibly even life itself. They're rescuing something that's been taken by the fire. There is a sense of urgency and even heightened concern for possible destruction and death. And you know, sometimes when a person plays with fire, they get burned, don't they? I think back to Michael's example of walking too close to the edge of a cliff. God may be sending you on a rescue mission to snatch someone, someone who is walking carelessly too close to the edge and is about to stumble and fall. This justifies a sense of urgency, doesn't it? Attention when life is at stake. And it may call for a little bit more direct approach than other times. 
It goes on to say, show mercy mixed with fear. Mixed with fear. I believe we're being given a warning here of, to be cautious. Years ago, um, in the first church that our family attended in California, um, we would have guest speakers that would come in every August from different organizations and just share with us you know, what they were doing. And uh, one year we had a gentleman come from a ministry he had founded that helps people break free of pornography and sex addiction. They felt called right into the heart of that industry. So they went to Las Vegas and they set up a booth in the middle of a pornography expo. He believed God had spoke to him before going and made him fully aware that there is not only danger for the sinner, but there is risk for the rescuer to slip and fall. Just like a person with an infectious disease, when they're treated, the one treating them runs the risk of contracting the infection. So they went to the heart of this porn industry but what they felt like the Lord said was, you need to take your wives alongside you. So they did. This was their means of protection against falling into temptation. Fear, this word fear is actually a healthy fear, one that commands reverence. It gives awareness of potential danger. When your small child has a healthy fear of the water, it can keep them from drowning. And it goes on to say, even hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We use this idea, this saying in, in the vineyard a lot that really supports that, and it is hate the sin but love the sinner. We can hate everything about the sin, everything that promotes it, everything that births it, everything that encourages it, but we are to love people. We are to extend mercy and love, but we are instructed to walk with wisdom and seek discernment with our eyes wide open. And one thing I think we need to remember is as we are contending, our Jesus is contending for us. He is contending for our faith. He is for us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we remember, we prepare, and we contend, and finally, we acknowledge. The final two verses here that we're going to look at in a few minutes are a doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praise or a declaration of who God is, found at like the end of a song or a passage. And this doxology, this doxology in particular, we acknowledge our need for God and that when we choose him, he will keep us from stumbling. And when we remain in his care, he presents us blameless and he presents us with so much joy. Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
To seek God, we must first surrender to his superiority, his lordship. And so the final verses declare God is able if we are willing. So we're going to put these two verses up on the screens, and I'm going to invite you to verbally declare this along with me. And as we declare this together, let these words erupt from your heart. Own them. Think about what you're declaring so that you can mean them and they can make a life change in you. So here we go. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Would you stand with me? We'd like to make room for the Holy Spirit at the end of every service. And so if you're new to Vineyard, you're maybe visiting, what we do is we take time to quiet ourselves and we invite God's presence to come and to speak to us. And then we give you an opportunity to respond what God is what he's speaking to us, and, and we give you an opportunity to receive prayer. So I just want to um, take a few minutes, if you want to just close your eyes, and I just encourage you to kind of focus your thoughts on the Lord. Just quiet yourselves. If you want, open your hands up to say, I'm open to you, Lord. I want to receive from you today. And we're just going to invite him. So Holy Spirit, Come. You are welcome here. We invite the very presence of our God here. Would you just come now and speak to us, Lord? Just speak to us. Just keep your thoughts on him. He's present and he's just pouring out over us today. Just come. I think the Lord wants to um, identify a few different groups of people. And I think one of them is simply you're feeling this thought of, I do not know how to contend. I don't even know where to start. And the Lord wants to invite you up to just help you and guide you and to say, it's okay, I've got this. Just lean into me. I also had the um, vision of a, it's kind of like that you're going down a road and you have the, the center divide, the line, the yellow line. But that line was blurred and it was like you had one foot on one side of the road and the other foot on the other side of the road. And there was this tug of war in your life going on. It's wanting to live for Jesus under his lordship, but then struggling with 
wanting to live up with your own desires and to please yourself, and you know it. And there's no shame in it, there's no judgment, but God wants to help you get on the right side of the road. I also felt like there are some here, you've been contending for someone or something for a very, very long time. And you're discouraged. And maybe even a wall has started to be built up to where you just are done. You're done contending. But the Lord is saying, don't give up. I want, it, I want you to come forward and I want you to get prayer because the Lord wants to refresh you and inspire you and encourage you. The last thing I had too is I felt like there was something, like a condition that is undiagnosed, a health condition. So if there's anyone here, you're just experiencing symptoms and you've been going to the doctor, you're not maybe getting um, answers, come forward, let's get prayer. We love to pray for healing here. So if there's anything else that you wanna receive prayer for, do you have anything? Just, Please come forward, go ahead. Just because it's so random. <laughs> Which is the story of my life. But when, when, when uh, Vicky was, when we were just waiting quietly, yeah, I know it's a movie title that I have never seen. I think the movie title is called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Right? Is that a movie title? Yeah, people are laughing, so I hope, I'm not, I'm not recommending it. But I thought, oh, that's a real, com that's a real nice warm thing, and just to lay guilt. But I feel like the Lord said, no, I, I feel like God said, I'm not saying it. The enemy is saying it. And there's people here that you have carried guilt for things. And I, felt, and I just heard the Lord saying, I have paid for those sins. And in Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our, our sins from us. And so I think, just to add to what Vicky's saying, there's some people that you've carried guilt over something you may have done last summer, or, but that you've been forgiven. Or forgiveness is available. You just need to come to Jesus, and he wants to wash you clean. So, yeah. Okay, so Kim's going to lead us in one final worship song, and we're just going to invite, if you want to respond to any of those, and you know what, don't let fear stop you. Don't let this idea of embarrassment, we'd love to come forward and just, and just be before the Lord and say, I give, I surrender to you, I need your help. So begin coming forward, and um, again, we're going to need prayers, so men with men and women with women.